I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to John in chapter 15. Find John 15 in your devices or in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible for yourself, we would love to give you one as a gift. We've got several on the table um, just out here by the doorway. Pick one up, take it, and uh, read it. John chapter 15. Uh, We are finding ourselves in the middle and end of what is called the Upper Room Discourse, or the Farewell Discourse, chapters 14 through 16. It's the time when Jesus is talking with His disciples, preparing them for His departure. And as we get to this point of the discourse, Jesus tells them about the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what we read, beginning in John 15, 26 through 27, and then picking up in John 16, verse 4. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with Me from the beginning. Picking up at 16 verse 4, Jesus continues, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the holy, inerrant, and inspired Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we now ask that You would do what only You can do. Speak to our hearts and so change them. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. We want to be changed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, every so often while I was growing up, my dad would leave for a trip for a few days. These were sad occasions. I missed my dad when he was gone. But there was always a consolation. In due time, he would return. And often when he would return, he would have a gift for me. I still have some of those gifts. 
One such gift is a little, small, smooth stone that sits on my shelf at work from the valley of Elah, where David fought Goliath with small stones. I don't know about you, uh, but I enjoyed those gifts. Maybe some of you received those small knickknacks or a piece of clothing when your mom or dad went away and came back. I actually don't remember many of those gifts anymore. I don't remember what they were, but now that I'm older, I'm realizing it probably doesn't matter so much what they were, um, but what they signified, what they represented, that my dad loved me, that he cared for me, that even while he was away, he was thinking about me. He was caring for me. As Jesus approached the crucifixion, his final hours on earth, he began to inform his disciples about where he was going and what would happen to them after he left. And these conversations were understandably sad. And yet, Jesus had several consolations for them, with none being greater than the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, He would leave them, but He would send to them the Holy Spirit, the most advantageous, most abiding, most personal gift one could give. We're devoting a whole series this summer to the Holy Spirit to learn who He is, what He does, and how we can live in Him. And our goal this morning is simply to look at this text, John 15, John 16, to see what we can learn about who the Holy Spirit is and what He will do. And so if you look at the screens, you can find the outline. Two main basic questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? And when He comes, what will He do? The first question has three answers. He's a person. He is the paraclete. He is the Spirit of truth. Last week, Pastor Dean made the point that the Holy Spirit is a person. And this is a point that I want to revisit and reiterate today because our text makes this point. According to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a He, not it. Now, you're going to have to take my word for it, um, but the Greek language works differently in some ways than our English language. So, Greek words are gendered. So, if you've learned Spanish, you've You'll remember that the Spanish language has masculine and feminine nouns. So too does the Greek language, um, but they can also be neuter. And so, oftentimes, what's most common is that the word, the word's gender will follow the subject's gender. So look at uh, verse 13 with me. Here it says, uh, here Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. 
The word for spirit in the Greek is pneuma. It's a neuter word. But Jesus refers to the spirit with masculine pronouns. He, he says. In the Greek there, that one in uh, verse 13 is akanos. It's a masculine pronoun. What this tells us is that, Jesus, uh, is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. And Jesus goes on to say that this Holy Spirit is actually capable of doing what persons do. He's capable of coming, of guiding, convicting, glorifying. And here's why I want to bring this up again this morning and what's important to take with you about the Holy Spirit being a person. First of all, we profess as a Christian church, along with biblical teaching and Orthodox Christianity, that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They e God is one, but He eternally exists as three distinct persons. Secondly, when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we are speaking about God. And therefore, it is important for us to be careful with our language. We should speak about the Holy Spirit as He reveals Himself to us in Scripture. The third reason I want to bring this up again this morning is just to encourage you to trust your Bible translation which is faithful to speak of the Holy Spirit as He. In recent years, I've heard arguments that the Holy Spirit is either an it or even she. That the Holy Spirit, through the Hebrew language, is to be understood as a she. And I want you to hear that the Holy Spirit does not have a secret gender that only original uh, language scholars would know. This is a faithful translation, he. Now, surely not all who have made the claim have done so to undermine the Trinity or to undermine Scripture, and yet there are some heretical sects of Christianity and so-called Christian churches and Christian pastors who advance claims just like this because they do not believe that the Holy Spirit is divine. And so I want to encourage us to be careful how we speak about God, the Holy Spirit, as the Bible does, because He is a person. The Holy Spirit is also the paraclete. That's the Greek word in chapter 16, verse 7, and chapter 15, verse 26. If you look at your English translation, it might vary from that of the person sitting next to you. Uh, English translations have a lot of different ways to render this word paraclete. So, in the ESV, which I'm reading from, uh, we see helper. If you've got the NIV, you might have advocate. In the KJV, uh, it's translated comforter and the CSB counselor. Several different renderings of this word paraclete. 
and that's okay. Um, each one highlights a different aspect of what the Holy Spirit actually does for the disciples. Interestingly, this word paraclete shows up five times in the New Testament. Four of them are here in John 14 through 16 to refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. But the other time comes in 1 John 2, where the paraclete, or advocate, as you'll see in your English translation, is Jesus, who intercedes for us with the Father when we sin. So just consider this wonderful thought. We have a paraclete with us on earth in the Holy Spirit, and we have a paraclete for us in heaven, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of truth in several places. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 16, verse 13. If you go back to John chapter 14, verse 17, there He's also called the Spirit of truth. In our passage, in verse 13, we learn more about what that means. And we're going to touch on that uh, just a bit later. So, just for now, I want you to notice that the Spirit who is sent by the Father and the Son is called the Spirit of truth. He is the one who will guide Jesus' disciples in the way of truth. So, who is the Holy Spirit? He's a divine person, the paraclete, the Spirit of truth. And these titles, this teaching tells us something about who the Holy Spirit, about His being, and what He is like. And understanding the Holy Spirit helps us to understand why He does what He does, which is the question we will turn our attention to now. What does the Holy Spirit do? What will He do? To set us on the right track, I want to make a few comments um, to get us going. Jesus' words in this passage look forward to a specific event in redemptive history, namely, when the paraclete comes. Did you hear that throughout the passage? When the Holy Spirit comes, when the paraclete comes. It's a prophetic reference to the day of Pentecost, that day after Jesus' death, His resurrection, His ascension, when He and the Father would send the Holy Spirit to His disciples, to the church, to fill them. And Jesus here in our passage is speaking to the disciples, looking forward to this event. But we, the readers of John's gospel, live in a different period of redemptive history, one in which the Holy Spirit has already come. And so, one implication of this difference is that we should not immediately apply what we find here to our situation. Some aspects of the Holy Spirit's work, which are spoken about here, are fulfilled forever in redemptive history, while some other aspects of the Holy Spirit's work are ongoing among the church, but in a different way. Of course, we want to understand what these words mean for us, the church, but in order to do that, we need to understand first the significance for the first hearers. 
One other comment to set us on the right track. What you want to see here in this text is that the Holy Spirit, His work has a dual focus. His work and ministry in the world is focused both on Jesus and on Jesus' disciples. And while I've separated these two in the outline just to help us understand and look at both, I want to urge you not to separate these in your mind, as if at one moment Jesus is exclusively focusing on, uh, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, is focusing exclusively on Jesus, and at another moment He's exclusively focusing on Jesus' disciples. No, as the Holy Spirit focuses and ministers for Jesus, He is simultaneously ministering to His disciples and vice versa. So, as we examine these aspects of the Holy Spirit's work, just keep in mind that the Holy Spirit ministers for Jesus and to His disciples at the same time. Okay, getting to that second question now. What will the Holy Spirit do when He comes? He will minister to Jesus' disciples by coming to them and by guiding them into the truth. Jesus tells His disciples in 15, 26, and 16, 7, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Consider the context in which Jesus shares these words. He's in the upper room. He has hours to live. He's speaking at length with them to prepare them for His physical departure. And as a loving friend does, Jesus does not spare the bad news. Listen to what's coming their way. 15 verse 19, the world will hate you. 15 verse 20, the world will persecute you. 16 verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. They will excommunicate you. And frighteningly in verse 2 of chapter 16, some of you will die. You will be martyrs. And of course, the biggest news of all, Jesus won't be with them. They will be alone physically in the flesh. And yet, among all of this news that Jesus shares with them, He shares those two small, meaningful words. To you. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. The paraclete, that divine helper, that divine advocate will come to you. Yea, He will be with you forever, 14 verse 16. To dwell with you and to dwell in you, 14 verse 17. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus says to them in 14 verse 18, in fact, it is to your advantage that the Holy Spirit comes to you. He will not minister to you from afar, but in your very presence. What great affection is wrapped in those two small words. He will minister to the disciples, to you. Jesus also tells His disciples 
When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. 16 verse 13. And the truth of which Jesus speaks here is the truth about Himself. The full truth about Himself. Who He is, what He had come to do, what He will do for them. So one author says pointedly, the Holy Spirit reveals no other truth but what is in what is from and what is by Christ. All the truth is that about Christ. Apparently, Jesus still had things to say to them, to teach them, that they were unable to bear at that time. But the Spirit would guide them into all that truth at just the right time, making known to them what Jesus had to say. Not only that, Chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would bring to their minds all that Jesus had already told them. And in 16, verse 13, He would reveal to them the things to come. Now, we should ask the question, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit ministering to the disciples in this way? Why this way? Well, the Holy Spirit would come to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus had told them and would reveal to them the things to come so that through their witness and testimony, the truth about Jesus and the redemptive plan of God would be made known to the world. That's the purpose of ministering to the disciples in that way. And moreover, by the revelation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the disciples actually record all that happened and took place about Jesus in writing so that the New Testament Scriptures actually say and speak about all of this truth about Jesus. So listen to how one author describes this. He says, "...the Gospels contain what they were reminded about Jesus." had said and taught. And in the New Testament letters, the epistles, we find the further illumination they received through the Holy Spirit. In other words, the New Testament is the very fulfillment of Jesus' declarations to the disciples concerning this ministry of the Holy Spirit, of guiding them into the truth. We have the truth. It's right here. So, what's the significance for us? Well, we should start by acknowledging that Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth is not a promise for me and you directly. Of course, we believe that the Holy Spirit guides us in the truth, but not in the same way as the disciples. It is not by means of direct revelation that the Holy Spirit guides us in the truth but instead through the witness of the apostles and the disciples, now inscripturated forever in the New Testament. That's how the Spirit makes known to us the truth about Jesus, about who He is, what He had done, what He will do even in the future for us. So, to just to put it a different way, if you are seeking the truth this morning, you should search the Scriptures. Here is the truth that Jesus was promising that the Holy Spirit would guide them in. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard people say to me, the, the Holy Spirit, God led me to do such and such a thing. Have you ever heard somebody say that to you? Or maybe they just said it and you heard them say it. The Holy Spirit led me to do this and that. Did you ever think about this question? How, how did they know that? How could they be sure that God was the one leading them to do that very thing? Was it a dream? Was it a voice that told them? Was it a strong desire or a gut feeling that they had? The Holy Spirit does not guide us through our feelings, which are fickle and fallible. And that's a good thing, because our feelings are fickle and fallible. <laughs> we can err. We can, we can make wrong judgments. The Holy Spirit guides us through the unchanging truth contained in the Bible. Too often, Christians are guilty of claiming that that God is guiding them in a particular way, in a particular lifestyle that does not fit with what the Bible says. When, when the Bible has, has not said to live in this way, when the Bible has forbidden that lifestyle, and yet Christians want to say, no, it was actually God who led me to do this. The Bible and the truth therein is our guide. That's how the Spirit means to guide us into the truth. In some then, the Holy Spirit not only ministers to the disciples by guiding them in the truth, but He actually ministers through the disciples and their testimony to us. And as He ministers to the disciples, again I remind you, He is ministering for Jesus, that is, on His behalf, for the sake of Jesus. And He does so by convicting the world concerning Jesus and by glorifying Jesus. So, going back to that word paraclete, some scholars have pointed out that this word is a word with legal implications. So, in John, in 1 John 2, when uh, when it says that when we sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, with the Father, speaking about Jesus Christ, it brings to mind a courtroom setting. We, we have a defense lawyer, one who is advocating for us to, to clear our name, to, to prove that we are righteous, that we are in the clear, not because of what we've done, of course, but only because of what Jesus and His righteousness has accomplished. But in John 16, when the paraclete is spoken about the Holy Spirit, He is the one who comes and brings about the world's conviction, the world here being unbelievers. He doesn't act as a defense lawyer. He acts as a prosecutor. He comes to convict and to bring about a guilty verdict. So, read again with me verses 8 through 11. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer, 
concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The great sin of the world is unbelief. Jesus has come. He performed many signs to authenticate His claims of divinity about who He is. And yet, the world rejected Him. They did not believe He was who He said He was. In fact, they so did not believe, they put Him to death. And yet, though He was rejected by the world, the Father places His stamp of approval on the Son and His atoning work. How does He do so? He raised Him from the dead. Death has no hold on the righteous one. Jesus is vindicated. And then in the resurrection, of course, Jesus is not only vindicated, He has victory. He, he comes to defeat the ruler of the world, the prince of darkness and death. He is condemned and judged at that time. Now, I don't have time to properly draw together all the connections for you this morning. I wish I did. But I want to point this out for you so that later on, you can take this text, verses 8 through 11, compare it with Acts 2, verses 22 and following. You'll see here how this conviction that Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit bringing is actually brought out in Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Now, if you're, uh, if you're remembering that moment, that sermon of Peter's in Acts 2, what is the result of that sermon? What is the result of that Spirit-empowered sermon that comes about? Well, when the hearers heard the message, they were cut to the heart, weren't they? And they said, brothers, what shall we do? I'm feeling the conviction of my sin and unbelief. And here's what they were told. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted that message were 3,000 people. Acts 2 tells us. This work of conviction, the work in conviction, led to conversion and the baptism of repentance, faith and forgiveness. I want to ask you this morning, might it be that this same Spirit, through this Word, means to convict you of your unbelief? Might it be that you're here this morning and you don't believe these claims of Jesus? Might it be the Spirit is calling out to you this very morning, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus, the righteous one. Turn away from your unbelief. I promise you, if He is calling out to you, you should heed this call. It's not a call that is going to guarantee some ease of living or comfort for you, but the Holy Spirit, what He offers, 
is something much better than ease and comfort. He offers you full forgiveness. Full forgiveness now and forever. And a life in forgiveness of freedom, joy, and contentment. So the Holy Spirit ministers for Jesus by convicting the world of their sins concerning Christ. And finally, the Holy Spirit ministers for Jesus by glorifying Christ. This is the Spirit's distinctive and great work, to glorify the Son. Again, we find that the work of the Spirit is Christocentric. It's Jesus-focused. He comes from Jesus to glorify Jesus. The Spirit's work in this way is kind of like a spotlight. I don't know about you, if you've walked around um, our capital, Washington, D.C., um, I always enjoy it. I love it. I love seeing all the monuments and the beautiful architecture. If you've ever walked through D.C. at night, there's this one structure that you'll notice from anywhere in the city. This one structure that stands taller than the rest, that is beautiful no matter what time of day, even in the dark of night. It's the Washington Monument. And at night, this massive structure is just lit up with beauty so that you can behold it from no matter where you are. Those spotlights direct our attention onto the monument, allowing us, even in the night, to appreciate it. The Holy Spirit shines light on Christ. His person, His work, His accomplishments in the redemption, so that we notice Christ. But He also shines heart, uh, light into the hearts of sinners to expose them, as we just learned. Not just to expose them, but to enable those hearts to receive Christ and to appreciate His beauty, the beauty which the Holy Spirit is magnifying, is glorifying. I love how one of my professors talks about this particular work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a different sort of metaphor and analogy that he's going for, so just bear that in mind. But listen how, how he talks about this using even Trinitarian language. This is what he says, God the Spirit crowns God the Son by causing the glory of His eternal incarnate, crucified, and exalted person to be proclaimed, received, and celebrated to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Spirit is doing here in this work. He's crowning the Son by causing the glory of His eternal, incarnate, crucified, and exalted person to be proclaimed, received, and celebrated to the glory of God the Father. So, in conclusion, the Holy Spirit, who is sent from the Father and the Son, is He who ministers for Jesus 
and to his disciples. To those first disciples, he ministered in a special way. But his ministry continues for the church, for us in every age. He dwells with us, the church. He's guiding us in the truth of God, of Jesus and His Word. And He's bringing glory to Jesus and even enabling us to bring glory to Jesus. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what He does. And so I urge you this summer as we continue on through this series on the Holy Spirit, let's pray together that the Holy Spirit would minister to us so that we live in a way that glorifies the Son as we bear witness to what He's done in us, as we bear witness to His work in us and through us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give You thanks for this Word. We give You thanks for Jesus Christ, Your only begotten Son, who left the glory of heaven, and came to earth in order to be despised and rejected by men, so that in turn He would be glorified in His resurrection and ascension, that He would be glorified in His session as He advocates even for us. And we give You thanks for Your Spirit who dwells with us even now who is guiding us in this inspired truth, who is ministering to our souls and enabling us to appreciate Jesus Christ and enabling us to receive Him and enabling us to glorify Him. We ask that You would continue this work in us through the rest of this service, the rest of this day, and this week as we go into the world And oh God, continue this work in us as we continue to meditate upon the work of the Spirit this summer. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.